Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag Hurling to the core. Hello and welcome to the Throwing Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Gosh Energy. I'm Will Slattery and I'm delighted to be joined for our All-Ireland Hurling Final Review show by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. How's it going, Will? Not doing well, doing very well. Uh, the morning after the night before, All-Ireland Hurling Final is always a memorable day. Limerick made it memorable, but for a very short period of time before the game was pretty much done and dusted. How impressed were you with that astonishing first half display? Yeah, blown away with it, to be honest with you. Um, it was as close to perfection as probably the Kilkenny uh, All-Ireland Final first half in 2008. The, just the, the chances that they create, their conversion rate, um, how much they can score from play and how many different guys can pop up in different positions to score. They don't rely on any one man. Um, it's just outstanding. And even yesterday, just with the noise before the match, it's... I hadn't, like, it's amazing, 40,000 people, I don't know if it's because they're spread out so well um, that the noise seems to carry a bit more, but the atmosphere before the game and the atmosphere during the game, like, Frank Roach was sitting in front of me in the, in the press area and literally had to shout down so he could hear, and if he was saying something back, it was just getting lost completely, so I can't imagine what it's like on the pitch for the players, but uh, Limerick have saved their best until last in 2018 final, 2020 final, and yesterday and you know that's a testament to them that they delivered their best when it matters most yeah to be fair John Carley he did talk about after the semi-final the incremental improvement that was pleasing him the most and it was kind of an maybe an ominous warning to the final but they, it certainly delivered on that promise given given how good they were yesterday and you touched on it there that the noise having the supporters back after 2020 behind closed doors in the middle of December how great was it, you know, for hurling supporters, for hurling people to be able to go back to Coke Park, some of them if they were lucky enough to get a ticket or even just experience it with the supporters out this time? No, it was deadly. I was actually doing a small little bit of work with a, a Russian TV crew beforehand. They were filming a documentary about, about hurling and basically different things that are unique to particular areas. And I was chatting to them after. And they were just blown away by it. Were you featured on a Russian documentary about hurling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I ended up on it, but uh, <laughs> and I, I don't think they could really understand my accent a lot, a lot of the time. But they were just so blown away by it and could not get over the noise of it and uh, just even the the buzz and the hum around Jones's Road on the way into the match, uh, just having people back around it. It was just it was brilliant. That's what it's all about. And you saw the Limerick, the Limerick support or the Limerick players after like they did a tour around to everybody and. The night, it's just, it's amazing when you haven't had it for so long, people appreciate it all the more. That's both players and uh, supporters as well. And they were all just lapping it up. It was, it was an unbelievable occasion. 
Yeah, and hopefully this time next year we can maybe even have a full house of the game, which would be brilliant. I really want to watch that documentary, by the way, whenever it comes out. Looking forward to seeing. My Russian's a bit rusty now, to be fair, but hopefully there's, there's some subtitles. But for now, we'll look back on yesterday's game. Limerick becoming Ireland champions back-to-back for the first time in their history. Three and four years for John Kiley's men. And we're delighted to have Brendan Cummins and John Milan here to pick through all the talking points. Guys, how are things? Very good. And Brendan, I might go to you first. I know you were on the Sunday game last night and it was, you know, everyone was... And trying to kind of comprehend what they'd witnessed at Croke Park, such a dominant performance, such an impressive victory. You know, waking up this morning, you know, how do you put it into context now? You know, 10 scorers from the 14 outfield players getting on the score sheet. You know, it was total hurling. I've, I've heard people say, I know I saw Verney tweeting about that yesterday as well. Like, you know, have you seen a performance quite like that in the Ireland final day before? No, it, it hasn't been. I think two things probably contributed. One, that Limerick are obviously extremely good and they're at the peak of their powers yesterday. There's no doubt about that. Garrod Hegarty, I suppose, hadn't come to the party as much as we'd have expected up on yesterday. And then when he rattles in 2-2, you start to go, oh my God, Like there's just an absolutely awesome display. The other side too is that Cork obviously tried to run the ball out of their own defence an awful lot, which kind of played a little bit into what Limerick wanted. And I think if you are to keep Limerick off balance or stop them from scoring 318 in the first half like they did yesterday, you need to win ball around their half back line or at least break even or get it to ground. And because Cork didn't have anybody there to win possession, it just meant to turn into a little bit like a game of backs and forwards or John had no, like when you're training teams, you tell the defence, you have to run the ball out. And at that stage, the forwards know what's going to happen and normally it turns into being a, a kind of a feast like we saw <laughs> yesterday. So overall, Limerick are very big, very strong. The little skills, like I said last night, they've nailed those to absolute perfection. And overall, it was one of the best displays I've ever seen. Anyway, to be honest with you, um, they were just awesome yesterday. Yeah, John, obviously you were involved in 2008 where Kilkenny in that first half, that was probably held up until now as the greatest you know, half of hurling we've ever seen. From what you saw yesterday, it, was this better? Was it as good? How do you rate it? Yeah, I don't really like to be uh, reminded of that of 2008, but look, it cropped up an awful lot yesterday and I suppose there was a lot of comparisons drawn to, to that day against us. And But for me, I, I think, look, you know, I, I was on the field that day, and it was kind of you, kind of you were kind of taken back by by you know the Kilkenny performance, and you know, unfortunately for us, you know, we had to go through the full seventy-two minutes. We had to go through the whole rigmarole of you know going into the dressing room at half time, you know, go, jumping back on the bus. Uh, the only consolation for 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 Cork yesterday is that they had they had they had to go back to a, to a banquet and and possibly there's no homecoming the following day. Uh, but look, I was up there yesterday and to witness what I witnessed in the first half, I, I didn't think Anton would top uh, what I witnessed down at Parky Cueve when I was doing the radio that day. Uh, the best quarter of Hurling I've probably ever, ever, ever seen. But for me, I think yesterday it was probably the best half of Hurling I, I, I've, ever, I've ever seen. It was just, it was just relentless. Uh, they just pushed this button. They went into gear. And they just blitzed Cork, and it was just—it was just a joy to watch. Sit back and watch it. I felt sorry for the Cork players uh, because you know, uh, I, I was able to draw on, on what they were actually going through and what they were possibly going to have to go through at half time. But you know, massive kudos to, to Limerick and, and John Coyley. And on top of that, you were saying to yourself at half time, we, we were doing the, the analysis at half time that you know, if if Limerick want to go down is probably a great team. The great teams, they don't let up. 
and they didn't let up in the second half. They just kept going and kept going and kept going to the 73rd minute and they broke that scoring record in yesterday by scoring 332. Yeah, no. Well, John, sorry, the, the, the other thing that struck me yesterday was that looking at Kyle Hayes, I think he only sprinted once to his max when he got turned over in the second half. Other than that, he was cruising through the game like. And that's where I think it's worrying for the rest that if he, like, just taking him alone, like, um, he decided to shoot from long range there in the finish and wanted to try the other point today, the All-Ireland and all this kind of stuff. But, like, it's a reflection of how good he is that he could not saunter through the game, but he didn't have to hit the turbo at any stage, really, to be honest, uh, and streak up along the line. So that's where the extra inches are, I think, when Kylie talks about the improvements they can make for next year. So it's a worry for the rest. Yeah, 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 and look, and, and look, you go back to two thousand eight, and you know Kilkenny were great that day. You know, there was, was an unbelievable performance. We didn't help our cause that day. We just underperformed, and I think Cork most certainly didn't help themselves yesterday in, in how they set up trying to counteract uh, Limerick. You know, the, you know, some of the defending yesterday was absolutely shocking. If you don't, if if somebody under twelves or under tens done it at home. He'd be barking down at him. I mean, I was looking at the full back line. You know, some some of the marking was, you know, I'm coming from a corner of forward's point of view, and Bernie was a was a, was a tight, tenacious corner back in. Some of the marking at the back, they were giving giving the Limerick lads, you know, two or three yards, you know, and there was, there was no there was no players that was they weren't touched high. You, you look at you look at the goal that that um Hegarty got. Tim oh man, he wasn't within twenty yards of him. You're, you're, you're questioning like where where's the marking? So most certainly Nimick were awesome, but Cork most certainly didn't help themselves in how they performed, how they set up, and how they marked the, the, the Limerick forward division. But sure, John, you'd know yourself like when you're when you go in to mark a defender and there's 40 yards of space out to your side, right? Where you, if you wanted to go out right, we'll say you're playing on the on the left corner forward position. The defender normally would stand in your way and say, look, John, you're not making the run out into that space. And they'd cop onto it. But all day yesterday, Limerick played behind the Cork, or Cork played behind the Limerick attacker. And he could run right or left uncontested. And when you do that, coupled with a deliverer of the ball like Kyle Hayes, Dermot Burns or Hannon, standing 80 or 90 yards away, it's an absolute recipe for disaster. And it turned into a training game where it was backs against forwards with the forwards getting the nod with the advantage of the ball bouncing in. Like you just like they didn't have a hope inside as well as the way they were trying to mark their men before the ball is delivered. So you're right there, like they just didn't yeah. do us any favors. Like and, and you go back to well, last night, we do we you um, remarked on it, we Limerick set up in, in, in their defense where they where they cut off the channels and they and they marked the the the, 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 the lines, Kyle Hayes and, and both Dermot Burns. And you go back to you know, you go to the Cork defense. Particularly with the with the full back line, with that line of three, and the and the and, and the, the, the defenders go into the line of three, and it leaves the space outside, totally naive. And and with the with, with the two with, with the two when Peter Casey, Peter Casey goes out the field, picks up an overall loose ball, so they they rotated from a two to a line of three, and I just thought the Cork the Cork, particularly in the full back line, I thought they were very naive. Mm. I might bring in Vernie now like what, what stood out to you in that first half you know the lads have both touched on the brilliance of Limerick and also some of the Cork failings like you know what what what, what was your takeaway for, from that opening 35 which ultimately decided the game 
uh, is probably Limerick's ability to start an attack from anywhere. Like Sean Finn gets a ball at cornerback and like the olden days you're thinking about just clearing a ball up a pitch. They're literally thinking, how quickly can we transition the ball up the field now? Sean Finn is almost in attacking mode or Barry Nash is in attacking mode the minute they get the ball. I kind of referred to it in the paper today. Like I like they're basically using like the triangle offense that uh, Phil Jackson was using with the Chicago Bulls. If you look at their defense, uh, the second Hanning gets a ball, there's somebody moving off at, at an angle to take a pass. There's another guy moving off at an angle to take a pass off him. There's little triangles coming out of defense. They do it so quickly and so efficiently. The stick passing is so crisp. Like rarely, rarely do you see the ball going to hurl. Rarely. It's straight to hand. It's straight into a guy's stride. I've never seen a team use the hand pass so effectively, be it to the side, be it to a man in front, um, be it hand pass out the side door, just so effectively. Everything is into the stride of the man who's receiving the ball and no player is ever left isolated, particularly in defence. There's always guys running off his shoulder. And the quickness that they do that with basically means that there's more space and more time created up the pitch and it was funny yesterday they didn't hit as much diagonal ball as they normally would they actually played like really really old style like basic hurling it was nearly down the lines there was loads of space in the channels and they created ball down the line Darrow Donovan did it for a Flanagan point in the eight minute Burns did it several times Hannon did it several times as well and just on the Cork point of view just to echo what John said there like there was an awful lot of naivety in defence you'd have to say um, you don't like picking out anybody, but like when that ball went into Flanagan for Galan's goal, like O'Donoghue actually left Galan to go to Flanagan, and Galan was able to stand up, hitting a shot in an all Ireland final. Like when do you see a lad being able to plant his feet and shoot for a goal? And Hegarty was basically able to do the same for two, for both of his goals. And Cork were kind of chasing shadows, but Limerick and like Brendan and John will tell you this as well. Like how much time must have gone into perfecting what they're doing they make it look ridiculously easy but that's just like these kind of 20 yard stick passes 30 yard stick passes uh triangular kind of hand pass and that's practiced ad nauseum in training and you're you're able to see it then that when they go out on all Ireland final day they're able to produce their best and it was just the first half in particular was just it was phenomenal to watch you just kind of thought you were just watching something special and it was yeah, and even to your point about the triangle offense, like the last thing the Limerick players did in their warm before the throw-in was break into groups of threes and practice their short passing. It was literally like home yeah. just before the game threw in. And in terms of the progression from even 2018, they scored 318 in the first half yesterday, 316 in the final against Galway. So two points more in one half of hurling, Brendan. Because it was interesting, John Coyle did refer to it a couple of times, just how far they've come since year one in 2017 when they played two games and lost two games in the championship. And just even looking at the team sheet from that Kilkenny qualifier, they lost in nine starters started yesterday, like Sean Finn, Keane Lynch, Kyle Hayes, Groot Hegarty, some of their big names. It's been some kind of turnaround transformation journey they've been on from even winning that first All-Ireland, as I mentioned there, to, to the way they performed yesterday. It is, and I think the key point has been that game against Kilkenny that they lost. That was earth-shattering for them. Like they thought that, I suppose when you're when you're as good as they were back in in eighteen and everything was going well, the system is right, everything is planned out right. We'd hammer to brain the monster final. We were doing what we like with teams, and then they went ten or eleven points down against Kilkenny and couldn't come back. So then they realised, what do we need? We need to get into our stride quickly. 
fast. And yesterday they did that. They got momentum quickly. If you think about the Waterford game, Waterford gave a surge to the first water break. But Limerick were at the pitch of the game all of the time from start to finish in that one. And, you know, so I think you do need something to wake you up. And I think that game against Kilkenny in 19 was the one. Um, and, and they've certainly learned from it. And now they're starting quick. And that's obviously down to their training. I mean, they, they, they train using grids. So it's all 3v3, 4v4, work the ball from this grid to the next grid and give a hand pass on the next grid to prove that, you, that you've actually completed the task. So if we watch the game, if you could put a 20-yard square around anything that Limerick are doing, they're moving the ball to the, bike, to the player who's nearest to them, whereas other teams are looking 70 yards up the pitch. And it's just their style of play. And I think it's going to be interesting as well in 2022. Not every team can go out and say, we're going to play like Limerick and win the All-Ireland. Somebody's got to be themselves to beat Limerick. They can't uh, imitate what Limerick are doing. Certainly, you have to counteract them when you don't have the ball. But when you have the ball, you have to be yourself. And that's going to be interesting in the conversation going into the winter and into next year as to what teams are going to try to be themselves to crack what Limerick are doing rather than trying to be just do what Limerick are doing. Just an interesting point in that way. Like, I genuinely think that that Kilkenny defeat in the All-Ireland semi-final, that was like a similar moment as Dublin had in 2014 when Donegal beat them. And Kenork and Kylie and their management team have looked at it and they said, how can we try to make ourselves, uh, probably, they're not going to say unbeatable, but how do we give ourselves you know, really good chances of winning every game? And if you look at the amount of scoring opportunities or scoring chances they create, they created 51 from play yesterday to Cork's 20. Like the way they play and how quickly they transition the ball, like they're literally nearly in every game creating minimum seven or eight more scoring opportunities than the opposition team. So Barron, they have a, you know, a really bad off day. It's not, like, I don't know if games are 50-50 necessarily. Like they're, they have the odds stacked in their favour before, before the game starts. They hit 17 wides yesterday and still won by 16 points. You know what I mean? That's, they're going to have to have a seriously off day for someone to beat them. Or as Brendan says, someone's going to have to bring something different. Someone, they're not going to replicate what Limerick are doing. Nobody's going to be able to do that in that because Limerick have four years of four or five years of muscle memory doing that. So someone's going to have to bring something different to the table. And I suppose that's what's going to be fascinating over the next while to see exactly what that is. And John wrote in his column on Saturday, like Limerick aren't going to change what's not broken. And nobody has figured out a riddle how to unsolve what they're doing. So um, that's going to be really interesting over the next while to see what people come up with to try and take them down. But, but, but the thing about it, teams have found, you know, a riddle to break it maybe in one quarter, possibly a half like Tipperary. But over the course of 72, 73 minutes, they're not able to, they're not able to take this, this, this green, green machine down. And I just think physically as well, I just think they're so far ahead of, of all the other teams. I think... Physically, I think they're at the peak of their powers in contrast to 2018, 2019. And, you know, if John Coyley is touching on it that, you know, there's still more to come. Well, that's that's just frightening. And the stats you've just touched on there, like, what, 16, 17 wides on top of 332. You know, if you're the opposition, if you're the, if you're the chasing pack, you're saying to yourself, you know, where do we, where do we start? Or, you know, where do we, where do we go at them? And, you know, yesterday, we were going through the two teams, you know, looking at the program. And you're looking at 1-15, to 15, that Limerick 1-15. to 15, And you're saying, you're asking yourself the question, if you're the opposition management, you're saying, well, where can we go at them? Where can we find a weakness? I mean, everyone was touching on, you know, Declan Hannon is a weakness that, you know, he's 
you know, you can get at him, you can you can run at him. I'm yet to see a player in the last three, four years who's got at Declan Hannon. He was awesome yesterday. I mean, look at Barry Nash. Everyone's touching on Barry Nash. Barry Nash was awesome. The only one thing I would suggest is going forward, possibly over the next couple of years, is if they did pick up a couple of injuries. Now, even Peter Casey getting injured yesterday, we don't know how bad it is, but I'm sure uh, from John Coyley and if you're Paul Kinnerick, they'll want to be getting him. If, if it's an operation, they'll want to be getting him in, getting surgery straight away, thinking of, of, of next year. You know, maybe possibly if it is the future, I, I don't want to put the jinx on him. If it is the future, the dreaded future, that they could be looking so far ahead that, look, we need to get him back for maybe June or July next year. But I think that that's possibly the only way that they might be taken down in the next couple of years is that if they pick up a couple of injuries, they're probably key players, you know, maybe a Keane Lynch or a Willow Dono. If you took Willow Dono out of the middle, they might, they might be different. You know, I'm even thinking to myself, you know, from the water point of view, if, if we had Willow Dono, you tr- threw him in alongside Jamie Barron and, and Limerick didn't have Willow Dono, then you're saying to yourself, well, it's water might have a chance or if you took a, a Garrod Hegarty or a Kyle Hayes out of it. But, once they have that kind of set 15 going on to the field, they're going to be extremely difficult to beat over the, over the next coming years. Yeah, and you'd expect too that next year's championship will probably revert to the round robin, John, and that means then there's more matches. So that means there's a greater chance of picking up more injuries. This year, I think they won four games to win the RR, mm. just like the old traditional one, we'll call it, you know. So you're right there, the injuries. And even talking to Shane Dowling last night, would have commented on the fact that they have been blessed in the last number of years that they haven't been affected by injury. Maybe that's the way they're training as well, but they don't have the high volume of games either. You take Watford this year to play four games in a row. I don't think Limerick will get through that gauntlet even as good as they are now. Do you know what I mean? So the format has certainly helped. The next year will be interesting when they play a higher volume of matches, which increased a bit of potential for injury. And look, Will, there is comparisons being made now to this Limerick team compared to the to the to the to the Kilkenny four in a row team. And look, let's call it spade a spade, lads. They should be able to complete the four in a row. They got caught with their pants down in the first fifteen minutes of that Kilkenny game. And if they didn't if that didn't happen, they would have completed the four in a row. But you know, you're drawing comparisons to the Kilkenny team, four in a row team. Limerick have a have a great fifteen, but you know, I think Kilkenny as an overall setup, an overall panel, you know, you look at that Kilkenny panel as a whole, you know, you look at go back to 2008, did Richie Hogan, did Michael Fenley, TJ Reid all on the bench, and it became three uh, future horror of the years. I don't think uh, Limerick have that luxury that Kilkenny had back 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 in 2008 or back in the mid 90s Yeah, Michael, one area they do seem to match up well is on the line and the backroom team. You know, tactically, Limerick have always been known as very astute with Paul Knurk and his work, but then even some of the big selection calls positionally, like bringing Kyle Hayes, man of the match at centre forward in 2018, back into wing back, Dan Morrissey, an all-star wing back, putting him at full back to solve a a positional problem there. Like the big calls have all come off. They're, you know, moving big men like that to different positions could be a recipe disaster sometimes, but it's worked out really well for them. Yeah, no, it definitely has. Um, even Barry Nash, who would have been traditionally a forward and definitely would have been more of a halfback than a cornerback. He's settled in a cornerback, no problem. Dan Morrissey, similar to probably JJ Laney, was one of the few that was able to go from wing-back to full-back. And as you say, Kyle Hayes started the first game of last year's championship against Clare, centre-forward, and then all of a sudden he's played wing-back in every game since. The, the versatility that they have there, like if they needed to, not that I'm sure they never will, Rod Hegarty can also play in defence. Keane Lynch can play. 
probably any anywhere there from probably midfield up realistically. So they've got massive, massive versatility there. And I think what John Kiley was saying even about improvement and wanted to go for more, like I would have favoured Cork's bench going into this game. And I do think that's something that he'll definitely go after. You'll probably see Colin Coughlin, who came on yesterday and, you know, fitted in kind of seamlessly. He'll get more game time. I definitely think they'll try and strengthen their bench a bit more and get more options. The likes of David Dempsey, Adrian Breen weren't featured on the bench yesterday, haven't had injuries earlier on the year. So, like, they'll definitely will go after that and they'll try and make themselves bulletproof in the sense that we know they have a brilliant start in 15. They're just going to have to probably, if they have that, if they can get that 20 or 21 and they have options there where they can bring these subs in and actually start them in games and it's kind of a seamless transition, then uh, they're only going to get stronger. So I'd say that's probably one area that he'd definitely go after. Yeah, it's funny because in 2018, they probably weren't as good 1-15, to 15, but 1-25, to 25, they were probably a little better with Shane Dowling there. You know, Graham Mackay was still at the peak of his powers, which gave them another really strong forward option. But Brennan, maybe just to go back to Cork for a second, I know you touched on some of their failings in the game yesterday, but for them going into 2022, like what, what would you look for them to do to, to bridge that gap? It's, I'd love to be at the Cork first meeting uh, in probably the second week of October for their debrief and what are we going to do next year. Obviously, Kieran Kingston had had sold it clearly to the players. We're going to run the ball up the pitch. This is what we're going to do. This is the Cork way. I'm telling you, this will work. And then yesterday, now they did score 110 running the ball from their own full back line. But we saw it just simply doesn't work. So now he's got to try to sell a new tactic to the players, saying the same thing. I promise you, this one will work, lads. You know, so Cork have great underage success coming, but as we all know, it can take two or three or four years even sometimes for some of those under 20s and 17s, obviously, to, to get physically strong enough to compete. Um, so I think if they can get a ball winner in the half-hour line, and the lads yesterday were talking about maybe Tim O'Mahony going back up to 11. I'm not so sure about that. I think he had been doing really well. And I think sometimes he'll, he will learn, have learned a huge amount, Tim O'Mahony, yesterday obviously, about shape and about structure and where you should be on the pitch. And it's not always important to follow your man into his own defence and all that kind of stuff. So there was a huge learning yesterday for Cork. And they're not going to be naive enough to or, 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 or cower away from a video session where somebody's saying, look, you should not be 80 yards or 90 yards from our goals if you're a wing back. You just need to leave, pass on that player. So they learned a huge amount from it. But the conundrum still is going to be you have to have somebody who's going to be under the puck outs and make it stick or make sure that you win the break. And that for Cork is still the issue. They had it last year. They had it the year before, the year before. And if they can fix that puzzle, then they'll be fine. And another one, Dara Fitzgibbon in the middle of the field has not performed. I think he looks lost. It's not that he's that I think he's unsure of what his role is. One minute he's wing forward, then he's centre forward. He doesn't know where he fits in the modern game. Because if you think about it, his role has always been centre forward gets the ball, he's off the shoulder and he's inside like you beat the offside trap. And that part of play isn't being worked on, I think, through Cork, through, their own six, through the opposition 65. And therefore, players like him aren't shining as bright and they'll need to if they're going to progress. But they've learned a lot, but they still need a ball winner, as far as I can see, to, to get it to the next level. Just a word on that, Will. Like at the end of the day, we talk about how Limerick have revolutionised the game. Like Nicky Quaid still does similar to what Brendan was doing ten or fifteen years ago. He still like it's he tries to do an advantageous ball to the forward, but he puts the ball down on top of the half forwards because they know that uh, they know that Morrissey, Hegarty, and Lynch can win or break puckouts. 
and they're close to their own, they're close to getting a score if they win the ball. So Cork weren't able to do that yesterday. Um, they, they went long a bit. They didn't get much success. Harland even started inside at times, which kind of even robbed of, of an option uh, at the start of the game. Um, but they need to, like, hurling is still quite simple. Your half-back line is your launch pad and your half-forward line need to be able to win primary possession, particularly off puck out. So they're going to have to unearth a couple of ball winners there. It's just um, probably going to have to unearth a couple of ball winners. And the fact that Jerem Ellerick was missing, they can't allow that to hurt them that much. Like, they can't allow... like. Coleman was following Keane Lynch a lot of the time. That's not really his game. He's more of a he's more of a ball player and an orchestrator. So they're going to have to find probably uh, another kind of a floating man marker around the half back line and around midfield as well. So, but listen, as as Brendan said, they will have learned an awful lot. I I wouldn't be moving Tim O'Mahony back up to the forward line based on one game. He's you think they've found a slot for him now. Um, but it'll be interesting to see because it often happens after a big defeat like this. It'll be interesting to see how much faith management keep with the personnel that started yesterday, or will they look at certain guys and think, well, I don't know if X, Y, or Z is going to match up well against different Limerick players. So it's going to be interesting to see if they change much, even for next year's league and heading into the championship, then as well, personnel wise. Yeah, well, given that they won 220 championships in six weeks, they're not short of uh, young options to potentially come into the team. And John, we, we might take a look towards 2022 now and, and the hurling landscape. Obviously, this Limerick team, back-to-back All-Ireland, three and four years, and the age profile is extremely ominous, I think, for, for the rest of the sport, given that, you know, most of the guys are, are I think, Nicky Quaid is the only guy going to be uh, 30 or over going into the championship next year. Like, you're looking at the traditional powers, Kilkenny and Tipperary in transition, Liam Cheedy obviously stepping down, Galway, Joe Canning is gone. Like, who's the big challengers? Is there going to be a major challenger for you? Is is that Waterford? Yeah, I'll be straight up with you. I I think Waterford are probably the best equipped, and I'm not just saying it because they're my own county. I think Waterford are probably the best equipped side to possibly... uh, Possibly take on Limerick, uh, close that gap. I think the Burke is coming back. Uh, you have a couple of lads, um, Cartrock Daly, Irla Daly, a um, couple of the, the two Fitzgeralds, one from Passage, Mark Fitzgerald, Patrick Fitzgerald will probably come into the mix. So I think they're strengthening the panel. I think Walter will have a very strong panel. Now, look, there's, there's murmuring going around. Uh, Brendan and Verney were probably hearing them up on, on Crow Park about, you know, Liam Cal's future. You know, there's talk that he, he could be going back to Tipperary. If that's the case, you know, Waterford might have to go and look for, for, for another manager. I, I think it'll be a very, very attractable job for whoever will, will, will go after the job. Um, I think there'll be a lot of people interested in the job. Um, I think probably an awful lot of outside people will be, will be interested in it. So I think Waterford, when, when, when they reflect on the year, they beat Tipperary, they beat Galway, uh, I think Galway, Tipperary are, are probably, re- there's a rebuild job there. I think Kilkenny, I think for me, Kilkenny yesterday, I think they dodged the bullet. I honestly do. Now, possibly, uh, they might have been as naive as, as Cork yesterday and they probably would have been more defensive-minded. Uh, but I, I most certainly think Limerick would have been eager to do a job on Kilkenny uh, in relation to what you just touched on there, the semi-final defeat there of 2019. But you go through the whole hurling landscape, there's not like outside of Limerick, you know, Cork, I think that that defeat yesterday, you know, that's a bit of a setback for them, albeit coming off the under 20 success. I think from, from Kieran Kingston's point of view, I think he's got to introduce a couple more lads from, from both them under 20 setups. 
And look, if it, if it means they're, they're rebuilding or, you know, rebuilding and trying to win, win an all earn in two or three years' time, you got to get them lads in now and get them on the strength and conditioning um, programs. Uh, Claire, well, Claire, you know, had a, had, a, had a very good year under 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 Brian Lowen and Wexford are looking for Wexford looking for a new manager. Someone, I think, someone like Dublin might look at it and say, you know, they did a good bit of under underage success there with with, with the under twenties. If they can. You know, introduce a couple of their under twenties. I think they 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 might they might put their hands up next year and and, and maybe maybe go and and challenge and try and win a Leinster title. But not a whole lot out there. And I think possibly Waterford are are, are the one team that are probably best equipped to probably probably go and and challenge Limerick or or, or close that gap. Yeah, Brendan, what about your own county, Tipperary? Then, obviously, Liam Sheedy stepping away, Brendan Marr hanging up his boots. There potentially could be more retirements we don't know yet. Is Liam Cahill the man you'd like to see come in and maybe start this uh, transition or, or rebuild or however you want to describe it? Yeah, I think there's no doubt that Liam Cahill ideally would be would be the man. There's, there's rumours around this neck of the woods as well that Darry Egan and, and William Maher, who was in the frame the last time when uh, Liam Cahill was with him to try or, or up against him to get the job. So there's a lot of names floating around. I just hope and tip in the coming month or so that it can be all bedded down. And I think from Waterford's point of view, John is right. They, they are the best team positioned to... Um, to, to challenge Limerick. The way they play, the way they run the ball, the athleticism they have, their long ways down the road and their weights programme, everything is teed up and tied to Burke's back. So that's a huge help for Watford. But for both Watford and Tip, I just hope in the next, I said, two to three weeks that it's all sorted out for both counties because if Liam Cahill does decide to go to Tip, that'll be great news in my book for Tipperary. But for Watford, there's a hole there and they need to fill it and fill it quickly. And while you'd all say the job's this and the job's that, right? Going into senior inter-county management is a big step. So whether you're talking about Watford trying to go for Dalo or Eddie Brennan or somebody like that, it takes a period of time to get the right person in and to, to sell the job to them and for them to maybe sell themselves and make the perfect match and get on with the players. So it is that transition is is going to be tricky and both Tipperary and Watford will have to manage it. And that'll be that that'll be the challenge in the in the next month to six weeks, I think. Yeah, Michael, how are you reflecting on things as we, you know, head in? It's funny, actually, just looking at the odds before we came on. Galway are our second favourites in the bookies, which I thought was a little bit surprising given how their championship ended and with Joe Canning stepping away. And the Waterford were 14 to 1. They were like fifth favourites. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that won't be 14 to 1 after this show. I'd say Milan will have a little nibble, I'd say. Um, but like Galway, when you look back at the All Ireland semi final in 2020, like they were close to Limerick, obviously drawn in injury time. And 2021 is such a lost season. For them and now they've lost you know probably their best player ever um and we like we it's still in a state of flux we don't know who exactly is going to be managing Galway going forward and maybe whether there'll be more retirements as well so there's I, I probably would agree with John in the sense that I think there will be there'll probably be uh, a few of the you know all Ireland minor winning players over the last four to five years coming in there in Galway and they probably need to inject a bit more youth in but we don't really know yeah, we don't really know what the situation is in a lot of places. We don't know what's going on in Galway. We don't know what's going on in Waterford. We know that Tip are looking for a new manager. We don't know who it's going to be. We know that Wexford are looking for a manager. Um, I don't think the, the merry-go-round has ever been as interesting as it is this year. But from a Waterford point of view, like if Liam Cal is leaving Waterford, it's, the next appointment is so key. Uh, and needs to build on on what he has done, and I, like, I don't need, I don't know if they need to veer too far away from what they've been doing. 
And I think what they've been doing has caused Limerick trouble at times. Probably just need to uh, refine it a bit more. And Tyg de Burke coming back would be huge. Um, but I, I probably would have Waterford ranked second. But uh, depending on who comes in there, that, that could change. So the one constant, as we talk about this merry-go-round, is the one constant is Limerick up the top. And they're not going to change. And every so there's going to be so much change underneath. But they're not going to change. And uh, I think yeah, they won't be going away for, for a good few years, I'd say. Yeah, and once and once Canark is there, lads, and you know, the likes of Caroline Caroline Curd, you know, I mean, let's 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 touch on Canark. I mean, I mean, we we've seen the the praise that the players were were giving Canark about these training sessions and how 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 they were be, well equipped going into this final, and you know, they had the work done on under 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 uh, Paul Canark, and they, they love his training sessions, and you know, his record speaks for itself. You know, he transformed uh, Claire Harlan. You know. Had the minor success, had the under twenty one success, uh, had the All Ireland success in twenty thirteen, and here he is now. He's after winning three All Irelands with Limerick, and you know once he's there, the man is. Look, I would I would give my left arm to to come across one or one or two of his training sessions, but by 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 speaking to lads, he's 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 a genius, and you know how he's able to fix things the day of a match, and once he's there. And once Kylie is there, and Caroline Curd and Don Low Grady, um, and and Cunningham, you know, they have a they have a nice setup there. They're all happy. The players are happy. Uh, that, that 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 speaks a lot, and and that goes a long way to 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 guaranteeing more success for Limerick going forward for the future. He does, and and his game management, John. I mean, the fame, the tactics board is the is the famous one. But in the last quarter, the last two matches. On the majority of the puck outs, they played with six defenders inside their own 45. And you can see it on the tactics board. And he, he just makes sure that the lads can win their own ball up front, whether that's Hegarty or Morrissey running into the spaces, Galan or, Flan, or, or um, what's called Flanagan. And they're able to do that. But when they don't do it, then they obviously then have the lads sitting back. And yesterday, once they said Sean Finn and Dermot Burns playing as two sweepers inside their own 45 while the ball is up the end of the pitch. So the game management piece is just massive as well. So he's not just all attack. He just looks at, right, even in a game of the winning by 13 points, he's going, let's finish the game out proper now. Let's do what we said we were going to do. This is the way we go. Michael spoke a little bit about muscle memory there. This is what we do. And just overall, it's so professional in the way they're going about. And obviously the players have bought in 100% because I remember Eamon O'Shea when he was doing similar work with us in 2008, 9 and 10. When he left, Jesus was like... A, a debt in the family will say, you know, when he was gone from us. So it's Canerk is the key. There's no doubt about that. And obviously John Kylie manages the bodies and the and the huge backroom team. But on the pitch, he is just a man, no doubt about it. He's he's phenomenal. Just a quick one, Will, before we finish. Uh Kylie became the fifth manager to win more than two All Irelands yesterday. He joined was it Cyril Farrell, Bertie Troy, Pa Henderson have three and Cody has eleven. Hannon became the first uh, you know, three-time All Ireland winning captain since Christy Ring. I think it's only Mikey Matter and Dick, from Tip and Dick Walsh from Kilkenny. Uh, the highest half-time score in All Ireland final history. The highest full-time score in All Ireland final history. Like the record, the records are going to keep falling over the next couple of years. You have to imagine. Yeah, I think that's a good note to maybe finish up on. Uh, kind of an, an ominous sound for, for hurling supporters if you're not from Limerick. But thanks so much to Brendan and John uh, for joining us throughout the year, guys. Thanks a million. All right. 
that's all we have time for this week on the Throw On Podcast in association with Board Gosh Energy. We'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on Nintendo.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Board Gosh Energy, proud sponsors of the GAA All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship and GAA Legends Tour Series of Crow Park. Hashtag hurling to the core.